the Culture Guy Podcast. There's something happening here, but what it is ain't exactly clear. With a different song in the beginning, can you tell? With a gun over there, telling me I got to beware. Different song because this is a different episode. There's battle lines being drawn. Nobody's right if everybody's wrong. Because there's a sad sad moment in the United States current affairs that triggered me to do this episode a little differently. Because there's something going on. What a field day for the heat. A thousand and the older semesters listening will probably easily recognize the song that's playing. Those who are a little younger and may not remember, or those who are not too familiar with 20th century United States history, this track is called For What It's Worth by Buffalo Springfield. Recorded in 1967 and quickly became one of the most well-known and most often played anti-war songs during the Vietnam War era. You're probably wondering, what does this have to do with a Culture Guy podcast, and why is this a different song, and why is he being so cryptic about it? Today is August 13, 2017, as I record this episode, and I am under the rather fresh impressions of the events that unfolded, or at this moment keep unfolding, in the small Virginia town of Charlottesville. Um... If you're listening to this at a later point in time as these episodes are being recorded and archived, then do go back, Google Charlottesville, Google white supremacist protests, Google alt-right or neo-Nazis or whatever label that comes with this news story. And I don't want to spend too much time on the actual events. There are a lot of folks out there um, sharing opinions or sharing inspirational thoughts around it. I just um, was compelled to do a little different rant this time. Um, And it was triggered by these events where at least one person was killed by um, one of the, I would call them neo-fascist protesters and I, I want to be careful with the labels that I'm using. Um, they can be misleading. And labels tend to um, 
help people uh, foster their ideology or, or uh, hedge their, their point of view from others. And, and that is not what I would like to do here. I think it is pretty clear that what has unfolded in Charlottesville is only the tip of the iceberg of ethnic unrest in the United States of America. And we've seen this unfold since the um, uh, Ferguson incidents and we've seen this uh, in 2015 when a, a white supremacist killed um, several people in a church in South Carolina and there, there are multiple events that we could could list here um, that serve as anecdotal evidence that um, the United States and, and the 21st century are far from being a post-racial society they are in fact um, discovering painfully that what they thought was resolved with the civil rights movement in the 1960s has is a process that has is far from being complete and i'm i'm becoming more and more aware of this as myself and my family have recently moved to the city of atlanta and we now live in a neighborhood that is predominantly African-American. And I am experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis what it means to be a minority. And I have to tell you, it is a refreshing experience. And I am enjoying every moment of it, despite some, well, it's a learning curve. Let's put it this way. There are certain things that I'm still getting used to. And... That's great. It's change. Change is good. And it shapes me. It shapes my family. It shapes our children who are dealing with it, I would even say, much better than grown-ups because for them, um, being an ethnic minority is nothing to, to worry too much about. They just deal with it. And it is not ideologically charged. However, ideologically charged is what's going on with these protests in Virginia. And it's all about, at least on the surface, that's what they claim. It's about a statue, a monument of General Lee that is to be removed from some park in, in that town. General Lee, for those of you who are not too familiar with Civil War history in the United States, was a military leader of the Confederates, um, of the southern states that were trying to secede from the United States. And the debate has been going on for years. What do we do with the commemoration of civil war? How do we honor the fallen on both sides? And how do we do this in a respectful manner? And sure, you can have um, multiple opinions on what to do with this. Uh, what to do with the relics of, of civil war. Um, the general public, so it appears, has come to the conclusion that it may be better not to honor the leaders of the South in the same way as the leaders of the North because the South started a war with one of the main goals being to preserve the economic status quo, which meant to preserve the status of enslavement of African-American and other indentured peoples in the United States. Now, since this collided with the, um, with the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, which says that 
all men are created equal. Um, this is a, a kind of a dichotomy that the United States seems to be grappling with since, and 150 plus years after the end of the Civil War, this is a, a situation that is still not completely um, resolved. And while you may argue that a lot of the uh, right-wingers who are still uh, holding on to the memory of the Golden South or the the South of a better era, where um, ethnicities were neatly separated and had their place, quote-unquote. Um, while you might argue that this is a, a fringe group that is by no means um, mainstream, I would argue, coming from my own personal experience of living in the Southeast of the United States for more than 13 years now, it is not such a fringe group. Um, and Dear white people in the South that are listening to this, if you want to feel offended by this, please go ahead and do so. Um, I've experienced white supremacy in the United States in a rather harmless, you might think, way, everyday way, where people who are of Caucasian descent live in their white bubble and are not aware of their white privilege and as soon as you wave that flag or if you point out that they are in fact privileged and they are maybe not as aware and cognizant of the plight that the african-american minority has had to endure in this country they their defenses go up quickly and um i would even call it or i'm i'm, I'm not calling it that way i'm just quoting um literature and research, they're, they're being fragile. Um, you may have read or heard about white fragility. If you haven't, look it up, Google it. There's um, a bunch of, bunch of material out there. Um, it's a psychological protection mechanism. Um, the white majority in the United States and predominantly in the uh, South that is bearing the majority of that slavery guilt heritage are easily offended and, and go into defense mode very quickly when um, accusations of racism fly or if the, you don't even have to call somebody a racist. It could be as simple as pointing out that, hey, you are white and therefore you don't understand um, on a deeper level the, uh, the needs and the challenges of African Americans in this country. and and. I've seen white people blow smoke and, and turn red in their face and become very defensive. So um, this, this description of white fragility isn't too far-fetched, at least not in my opinion, as I've experienced it over and over for years. And now what we've seen with these protests and the, the violence that is breaking out on both sides, um, that includes the, the far left that is resorting to means of violence as well, sadly. Um, this is, I think, just the tip of an iceberg where we're now seeing something that's been going on um, behind curtains or behind closed doors or, or behind the, the eye of the public for, for decades. Um, and this is something that I think needs to be addressed. This country um, deserves better. And now, I'm torn. Um, I've been very careful on uh, in talking about this topic, um, mainly because I'm German. 
mainly because I don't want to be appear. I want to appear as the the know-it-all German who, who who thinks his country and his culture has dealt with a similar problem in a better way. I, I'm not saying this. However, I would encourage everyone in the United States to take a close look how um, how German post World War II society has evolved and dealt with their national guilt or their pain point. And what I'm talking about is what came up in a conversation with one of my best friends here in the United States. One of my best friends here in the US is African American and we had this conversation many, many times and I pointed out to him why am I your only white friend? Why are there no other white folks you hang out with um, socially? And his response was, because you're the only white guy who would dare ask me that question. And from there, we had very long conversations about the issue of race, about the issue of ethnicity in this country. And I came to the conclusion that um, what the white Southerners in the U.S. are going through psychologically is very similar to what Germans have been going through since the end of World War II. It is a collective inherited guilt, and it is not serving any of us well. And the, the guilt that the Germans felt after World War II was that of the Holocaust. And I grew up with that guilt. I was one of those pe people, and I, I don't want to say every German feels that way. I can only share my own experience. I felt a a sense of collective national guilt as a German because my grandfather's generation killed millions of innocent people, mainly people of Jewish faith. And I was very, very uptight and, 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 and closed off in interacting with people of Jewish faith. Mind you, living in Germany, it wasn't hard to escape that um, experience because I, growing up I did not know any people who were Jewish. Since I've lived in the US though I've had many opportunities to meet people of Jewish faith and have good conversations with them and one of my mentors, one of my, I can call him friend, um, Joel Roberts who himself is a, a faithful Jew and who also happens to be a grandchild of a Holocaust survivor whose family, large parts of his family perished and were murdered in Auschwitz. He lives in the United States. He's a communications trainer and coach. Look him up, look him up please, Joel Roberts. Um, he's, he's the guy that helped me produce some videos for our website. So if you check out our website and, and you're familiar with the video clips, um, that's Joel's and his wife's doing. And Joel told me at some point, Christian, you as a German are one of the very few people in the world that have the moral authority to speak up on these issues. And you can say, you can come from experience and say, we as a country went down this rabbit hole that led into darkness and we know what it feels like even though me, myself, born in 1970, I have no direct connection to the crimes of the Nazi era. I do feel the pain of inherited guilt. And something very similar could be said of white Southerners 
who feel the pain of inherited slavery guilt. So coming back to my African-American best friend and I, we came to the conclusion that white and black people in the U.S. tend to be a little verklempt, as the Jewish would say. They tend to be a little uptight in dealing with each other because there's this lingering, undealt with guilt. And I know it, what I know what it feels like because I felt the same thing around people of Jewish faith. Um, let me tell you, it ain't pretty. And as long as you keep sweeping it under the rug, it ain't gonna go away. And this is what we're seeing in, in Virginia. This is what we're seeing in other parts of the country in the past where these shameful acts of racism, misogyny, and, and just blatant hatred flare up. These are all symptoms of unresolved guilt complexes. And I challenge you, I challenge you to face your demon. I challenge you to face that fear. And as I said before, it, there is no, there is no, I don't claim superiority in the way that post-war Germany dealt with its guilt. However, there is one aspect that I think might be helpful. And it happened to most of my generation as we went to school in Germany. There was a mandatory field trip to concentration camps. There was one nearby anyway. There are m so many throughout Central Europe. There is one that was easy to travel to. And so my class went on a field trip to a concentration camp too. And I was 15 maybe or 16, I don't really remember. And we went to the concentration camp in Dachau, north of Munich. It's more of an extermination camp. This is where they had gas chambers that were labeled as showers and to, to trick the inmates into believing that it's merely an in internation camp and they will be uh, going into big group showers. Um, where, in fact, they were killed by poison gas. Um, and as you go in there as a teenager, um, forgive my French, shit gets real. There's no more denying that this is what, what went on. This is what our people, this is what my grandfather's generation was capable of. And it's, it makes you sick to your stomach. At least that's what it did to me, and I've seen plenty of my fellow students throw up on the way out. And while this may not be pretty, it is also cleansing. It is also a facing of reality and knowing that we don't want this to happen ever again. And many people that were prosecuted in World War II by the Nazi regime made it out and made it out safely. And many of those came to the United States to find a safe harbor there. And the United States was founded upon immigration. And people from all walks of life, whether they were in danger of political or religious prosecution in Germany, it didn't matter throughout history, people came or left their homeland because it was not safe for them any longer and came to the United States to find safety and an opportunity and a new life. So to me, as an immigrant myself, it is hugely un-American to be a racist. It's hugely un-American to hate upon each other. What we've seen here in Charlottesville is shameful and I'm appalled.
yet. I'm not going to go to any vigil. I'm not going to hold up a candle at night, and I'm not going to form a chain of people, and I'm not going to chant and sing at night with you, even though you might invite me to, and I've already gotten invites to join those commemorative events. No, I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. Not because I don't think you're right. Do it. If it makes you feel better, do it. And also know that you will be amongst people that agree with each other. You're going to just perpetuate your bubble. And hate to challenge you, um, your bubble ain't going to change a thing. And it's not going to convince a white supremacist from changing their mind. So vigil, yes, great. I applaud you. I'm not going to do it. I'd rather talk to somebody who has a diametrically opposed opinion than I have. And I would like to challenge you. And I have so in the past. So I'm, I'm encouraging everyone to seek the dialogue with those who think different. I'm not saying that I have the, the oratory power to convince a white supremacist of my point of view. I, I don't stand a chance to do that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not arrogant enough to think that. However, I think it's important to let those folks know that they're a minority and that their point of view has no place in this mainstream society. So stand up to it. Yes, go to a vigil if, if that makes you feel better. However, also let those who have this horrible life view know that there is no place in our society for this type of hatred. And I know I'm ranting and I'm struggling for words. You all know that English is not my first language. Um, I wanted to read you a poem some of you might be familiar with. It's by Abel Mirapol, or rather known by his um, nom de plume, his artist's name, Lewis Allen. And the poem is called Strange Fruit, and it was made popular by a music recording, Billie Holiday, one of the great African-American voices of jazz. Strange Fruit. Southern trees bear strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene of the gallant south, the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth, scent of magnolia sweet and fresh, then the sudden smell of burning flesh. Read it. Read it in its, entire, in its entirety. Listen to the song by Billie Holiday, Strange Fruit. There's also a version by Nina Simone, Just As Good. And become aware of the plight of the African-American community in this country. Become aware of your white privilege. Go out there, talk to people that are different from you. Stop hiding in your bubble. Yes, and again, I'm ranting, and I want to close this with the wise words of Nelson Mandela. No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate, and if they can learn to hate, 
they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Wise words, and with that, this episode is over, and I'm going to leave you with one of my favorites. Have a good one, and stay woke. There is